0: So from the first Sunday in January, we have been in the Mark series, and it's been great. And we are going to continue on. So if you have a Bible, you can open it up to chapter 8, verses 31, and then we're going to sneak into chapter 9, verse 1, because they're all very much connected. But what we're going to be looking at today is the cost of discipleship. We're going to look at Jesus' cost, and we're going to look at our cost. But what's interesting about we are In the middle of the Gospel of John, we're in chapter 8. There's 16 chapters. And to date, Jesus has yet to reveal his purpose for coming into this world. You know, I always point here to my right because I'm always pointing to the cross. And really, that's his crowning achievement. And to date, he has kept this hidden. So all the way, we have eight chapters. We'll have eight more. But today, he starts to reveal his true identity, his crowning achievement, the purpose, he came into this world. And we're going to look at all those details, including the cost of discipleship, the cost that Jesus paid. Now, to date, he's been revealing some things about himself. And so I would say the disciples have a a pretty good understanding that Jesus is God because Jesus is doing things that only God can do. Like he's performing these miracles, he's raising people from the dead, he's walking on water, that's not every human's opportunity to be able to do all these things that Jesus is doing. So he's revealing himself, and I would say they have a good understanding that he is the son of God, that he is God, but they're still very fuzzy on the details and the purpose of why he came. And they've been able to see some other things about Jesus that we've been able to look at. That, you know, through he came to bring healing to us. The disciples are a part of these healings. They're seeing him heal. But I love when he comes up to the leper and the leper says, I know you can, but are you willing? And I love Jesus' word: Yes, I am willing to bring healing to you. And he extends that same promise to us that he is willing to bring healing to our lives. But before we look into now Jesus kind of transitioning, and he's really going to share the details of why the Messiah has come. So for the first time, he's going to share. He's going to pull the curtain back. He's going to give us more information. He's going to share that with his disciples. But before we look at the scriptures and go into it, I think it's important that we need to answer this question. Are you willing to suffer for Jesus? As we look at the cost of discipleship, and we look at the cost of Jesus, but we're also going to look at the cost of ourselves, for ourselves. Are you willing to suffer for Jesus? Now, I want to start with global. I have some some information here that's a bit startling, so this has to do with persecution. And this is a question that followers of Jesus have had to answer for the last 2,000 years. And depending on where you live in this world, it means something much different. Like this means something much different for us today, and I'll get to that in a a moment, than it does to other places in the world. So let me share some details. In 2022, 360 million people experienced high levels of persecution. And not only just trying to wrap your mind around 360 million people experienced high levels because of their faith in Jesus, That's 20 million more than in the year 2021. The Open Doors Advocacy Group shares that 5,898 people were killed for their faith last year. Almost 6,000 murders because of their trust in Jesus. And that's up from 4,761 from the prior year. And so we see that persecution is growing. Now, what does that mean for us what does that mean for us in america so when you think about just in, even in today's day and age regard i mean it really it's dependent on where you live this question means a lot to somebody that's outside of the united states or a country that's really not that doesn't have a whole lot of persecution that they really have to answer this question like they're going to face persecution because of their faith But here, we have been real comfortable. Look, guys, we've had a good run. We really have. It's been a good run. And the way I would define it is it's been comfortable. When I think of parts of the world that are being persecuted, that we just don't face those challenges yet. But where our country is going, each and every generation, there is going to be more and more persecution in this country and I think forward to the next generations we are going to start catching up to the rest of the world that really right now has to answer that question but when I think about our years of, of comf- comfort I think of you know kind of like a lazy boy recliner that's that's how I would define persecution here in America is we haven't had it we've maybe had inconveniences you maybe have been called a Jesus freak You maybe have been called a Bible beater, and I don't want to minimize the possibility of you coming out of another religion and then finding Jesus, and it costed you relationships. I know a few people that it's cost them their marriage for following Jesus. So I I will say this. There has been challenges for people because of just the different religions, but as far as persecution, persecution being beaten or maybe killed because of your faith in Jesus, we've never experienced that here. Now, what is that going to mean for future generations? I don't know. I know my kids are going to face more than I did, but they're probably still going to be pretty comfortable. I'm worried a little bit more about my grandchildren. But when I start thinking of great-grandchildren, I see the movement and the pace of how a nation, because we are no longer a Christ-centered nation. I don't know if you knew that. We were founded on that, but we are fleeing from God in a pace that blew my mind away. I can't believe the last four to five years, let alone 25, 30 years. And what I'm saying is that it's it's our generations to come that are going to have to answer this question, but even for us today, are you willing to suffer for Jesus? That's an important question to answer. Because now we're going to look, Jesus is about to reveal his purpose of coming into this world, and he's going to share it with his disciples, and we get to see their reaction about it. So Mark chapter 8, verse 31, here's what it says. Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but three days later, he would rise from The dead. So when we think about this word suffer, we see it right here. And now let's put ourselves in the place of the disciples. So this is the Messiah. And he's saying these words, the Son of Man must suffer. Now they had expectations here of the the coming of the Messiah. And these expectations were of a conquering king, a conquering king who was going to come into this world and establish Israel back to a mighty nation. They had these expectations that he was going to conquer Rome. And it wasn't a king, a Messiah who suffers. It was a king who was going to conquer. That was their expectations now, we're going to look at the response of the disciples, but just here in a minute. But just understand that. Let's put ourselves in the disciples. They're hearing the Messiah say that I have come and I must suffer. And that was foreign. That was not matching up with their expectations. Have you ever had different expectations than you were experiencing in life? Have you ever questioned God? Have you ever said, God, why are my relationships the way, the way they are? you know i know a lot of times because the most requested help that we get is marriage help and why is that because marriage is hard <laughs> marriage is hard it's beautiful it's an amazing gift from god but man it involves two sinners and i know there's people that have come and said yeah, these weren't the expectations i had on my marriage these just aren't the expectations god why can't you fix my husband? God, why can't you fix my wife? These are not what I signed up for. This is not. These are different expectations than what I had in mind. This is kind of what the, the disciples are starting to see here with Jesus, or as he's communicating the details about his coming and the purpose here. Wait a minute, it's not about suffering, it's about a mighty king who's going to conquer so we're going to look at their response in just a minute. But then he says he must suffer. Not only must suffer, but he's going to be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed. So what does that mean? This is the, the Jewish Sanhedrin here, the, the council. Everyone that we're talking about right here is, is, the, is the committee. It's, it's the council that's going to come together And then, you know, put Jesus on trial, but not just put Jesus on trial, but convict him of of something he didn't do. And then he's going to be sentenced to death because of it. And I love how the pillar commentary talks about this opportunity for us to see, kind of understand this a little bit more. Because it's at the hands of the religious leaders, you know, the godly people at that time. It says, the prediction of Jesus' passion conceals a great irony, for the suffering and death of the Son of Man will not come as we would expect at the hands of godless and wicked people, no. It is not humanity at its worst that will crucify the Son of God, but humanity at its absolute best. Man, that's just so interesting. Interesting that when we, when we look at this and we know that Jesus, he really challenged the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees and all that. But here's what these people were viewed at at their time. There's humanity at its best. There are the godly people. The godly people. They, they kind of had this status that they were looked up to, that people would go to them, that they would come to them for information or help, and they'd give godly advice and these are the people, not the Roman soldiers. They were just doing what they were told. But it's these people right here, this council of men, that are, res- that are going to send Jesus to be crucified. They are the ones that killed Jesus. And it's just interesting to me that it's not humanity's worst. You would think it would come from murderers, rioters, evil, wicked people but it's humanity's best from one perspective that you could say that put Jesus to death. And we see that. In John 16, 2, it says this, for you will be expelled from the synagogues and the time is coming when those who kill you will think they are doing a holy service for God. They truly believe they were doing a holy service for God by putting Jesus to death. So here's the Messiah communicating details. Here's why I came. He explains that I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be killed. That's what the disciples are hearing for the very first time. And here's their response. Sorry. As he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples, then reprimanded, Peter, get away from me, Satan, he said. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's view. All right, so here's, so here's Jesus, the Messiah, and he's communicating the purpose of why he came. And it's important to understand That if all you have to do is go back three verses, three verses. And now we had Steve here last week talking about world missions. But three verses ago, at all the other locations, Jesus is walking along with his disciples. And he says, who do people say I am? What are you hearing out there? Who do people say I am? And his disciples said, well, some think you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're a prophet. And then Jesus says, well, who do you say I am? And I love this because Peter, Peter's bold. Peter's not timid, so he says, you are the Messiah. And he was right. But we would be foolish to think that Peter knew all the details about the Messiah. Yes, he knew Jesus was the Messiah. But what Peter is still fuzzy on is that he does not really know why Jesus came into this world. Because we see Peter's response. So he just heard his Messiah say, I must suffer, I'm gonna be rejected and be killed. And Peter does this, Jesus, come here. And he takes Jesus aside. He wants a private conversation with Jesus. And he reprimands him. He says, no. No, Jesus, that is not true. And so we know the expectations Peter had. But now he's hearing from God, and he doesn't like it. How many of us hear from God or read God's word, and we say, ooh, I don't like this. Like this? When it's all about love, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for those verses. I'll receive those. But with, just like what Peter's doing, I don't like what you're telling me, God. This can't be. And here's what we do also, because we can fall in the shoes of Peter, saying, God, I don't like how you're wording that. I don't like that sin list. Or I don't like how it seems like you're being unloving to this people group or this or this or that. But it's important to understand, we allow God's truth. We allow God to determine what sin is, not us. And what Peter is doing is he's taking God, what he's hearing from God, and he's trying to make it conform to his views, his ideas, his wants, rather than conforming to God's truth, conforming to what Jesus has said, saying, oh my goodness, that's why you came? And how Jesus, tell me more about this. He just doesn't like it. And we can fall in those same that same camp of taking God's word and trying to make it conform to us, our views, our thoughts, our truths of how we've redefined Scripture. But we are to conform to Scripture. God speaks to us, and we say, yes, God. Yes, let me conform to that truth. Let me conform to your will. Let me conform to your desires. It's just a great reminder that Peter wasn't perfect. And the disciples are all here just kind of scrambling and trying to figure this all out. And here's the Messiah revealing the purpose of why he came, and we see now Peter reprimand Jesus for it, but then look what Jesus said. Remember, Jesus has been pulled away. Now, I just visualize Peter. He's the bold one, you know, he's the one that jumped down and started walking on water. He kind of put his foot in his mouth a lot of times. Like, I compare him to like our Tracy Jones here at this location a little bit. That's, that's a great visual of Peter here. But now Jesus is like, the other disciples are over here, and it says he turned and looked at his disciples. Jesus is saying, no, they all have to hear this. They all have to hear what I'm about to say. This is no longer going to be a private conversation, Peter. And look what he says. He says, get away from me, Satan. Ouch. Ouch. Now, to know what's going on here, Jesus is not calling Peter Satan. These are the exact same words, if you go back to Matthew chapter 4, verse 10, when Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness... Satan, you know, because of his pride, he knows who Jesus is, and yet he still tried to trip him up. He still tried to influence him and tried to divert him from the cross. That's why Satan did this. He tried to get Jesus to sin, but he was God. You know, it's a beautiful picture of what we're to do because Jesus, every time that was tempted by Satan, went to Scripture For it is written, for it is written, for it is written. And he just shuts Satan up right then and there. It's just beautiful. But finally, in the wilderness, Jesus turns to Satan and says, get away from me, get away from me, Satan, because I'm not gonna allow anyone to divert me from my purpose of bringing redemption to human man, to all mankind. It's this beautiful picture just of how Jesus loves us, and he wasn't going to let anything stand in the way between us and him. And it's beautiful. It's a beautiful love story. And so that's what he's saying here now to Peter. Peter, you're wrong. This is why I came. This is why the Messiah has come into this world, to suffer, to be rejected, and to die. And I'm not going to allow you to divert me from my crowning achievement of what I have to do on the cross. This is the purpose of the Messiah. This is why I have come, and nothing is going to keep me from achieving what I need to do so that people can be redeemed. Amen. So the disciples are learning fast what the true meaning and the true purpose of what the Messiah has come, even though it doesn't meet their expectations of what they visualized. But when you look back at Scripture at Isaiah, It talks about how the lamb was going to be slaughtered, that there was going to be this suffering from the Messiah. But the people of Israel didn't like to apply that because they had painted their their own picture of what the coming of the Messiah meant. And it was all about a conquering king. But Jesus says, "No, I have come as your king to suffer for you, to take your place, and to ultimately die for you. And if you're here and you're you're just trying to seek and find God, it starts right there. You recognize you're a sinner. While while we're on this topic, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful love story of, of God's love for each and every one of us. Just like Steve said last week that God's deepest desire and passion is you. And he offers that to everybody. But we're born into this world because of the fall of Adam and Eve. When sin entered the world, now we come into this world, born into this world, separated from God. And so if you look at the Old Testament and you look at all the, the rules and commandments and laws, what they do is they expose the sin nature in us because we're never good enough. Well, We can never be good enough to be good enough for God. So if God would have given us one commandment, we would fail. But he gave us all these commandments and all these, these do's and don'ts. And even when you look at the law, but then it says Jesus came and fulfilled all of that. This is, what is the greatest commandment? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul. And it says then, the second is just as important, love your neighbor as yourself. And it says all of the commandments and all the laws are rooted in that commandment because of what Jesus was able to do on the cross. And he went and paid the price for all sin so that we could in return have life. And I just want you to know that if you're here and you've never responded to Jesus, he makes that offer for you not by what you have done or not that nothing that you will be able to do it's not about doing it's by believing and the bible says when you put your faith and trust for the forgiveness of your sins and you recognize that that you're a sinner and that Jesus died for you god in the flesh it says right then and there when the right heart of repentance and the right information about Jesus do this in your mind and in your heart and you say i want to follow you Jesus i want to follow i want to be a follower of yours says at that moment you're saved. There's many examples in Scripture of people who have done it that you could read about. It's just amazing because that's now what we're going to transition into now is now, okay, what is the cost for followers? We just looked at the cost that Jesus came into this world to suffer, to be rejected, and to be killed, to die for us, and he paid that cost. Now let's look at the cost of discipleship for followers of Jesus Little technical difficulties here today. There it goes. Mark 8, 34 through 38. There's a lot here. It says, then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. All right, there's a lot going on here. Let's go back up to the top. So you remember, the Messiah came. He's having this conversation with his team, his disciples. He's explaining the details about the Messiah to them, but now he opens it up. Now he says, everyone, come together. Everyone, over here, you over here, you over here. I have something important to tell you. So he opens it up to the crowd, and this is the first thing he says to the crowd. If you want to be my follower, and I want to start with this. There's a great study, fan or follower of Jesus. It's a great Bible study. Jesus has a lot of fans. He doesn't need any more fans. He needs followers. And we're gonna look at what his definition of a follower is. So in the beginning, I asked you that question, are you willing to suffer for Jesus? Here's how we suffer. Because this is what's expected to be a follower of Jesus. You have to give up your own way. Like we come to Jesus on his terms. We don't get to define the terms of coming to faith. And here's what everyone needs to hear. Jesus demands, let me say that again, Jesus demands change, change from everyone. We don't ever need to elevate a sin. And when we do that, I, I'm, I'm probably guilty of that in my life, talking about a, a, you know, a certain topic. I apologize. God, please forgive me. But he demands change from everyone, every life here, he demands change. We have to give up our own way. We come into this world, like Burger King, having it our way. And many of us are good with that. I like having it my way, right? I think many people would say that. But here's what Jesus is saying. In order to be a follower of mine, you have to give it up. It's not going to be your way. No longer are you going to be on your path making life all about self. That's not what he wants for us. And it's very easy for self to become the object of our life. But he says, no, replace self and put God, put Jesus. May Jesus be the object of our life and we're always focused on him and we're following him. And then he says, take up your cross. Now this is the first time so for us, as we're reading this, even back to the beginning of today's message, he hasn't mentioned cross at all. He just mentioned the word suffering. I, want, I encourage you to go back and, and listen to that, because he hasn't even mentioned of how he is going to die. He mentions that he is going to be killed, but he doesn't mention anything about the cross, and now he's mentioning it to his disciples in the crowd, take up your cross, Now that meant something different than what that means for us here today in today's day and culture. So when we think of the cross, we think of, you know, the crosses that we have hanging at church. We think of the jewelry that we wear around our neck, and that's all great. That's all great. Maybe a tattoo here or there of a cross. But what the disciples and this crowd understood about the cross, let me go back to pillar commentary. Commentary. The cross symbolized hated Roman oppression and was reserved for the lowest social classes. It was the most visible and omnipresent aspect of rome 's terror terror apparatus, like just a visual of a ross sent terror to people, designed especially to punish criminals, criminals, and quash slave rebellions in seventy one bc the Roman General Crassus defeated the slave rebel Spartacus and crucified 6,000 of his followers on the Appian Way between Rome and Capua. A century later in Mark's day, Nero would crucify and burn Christians who were falsely accused of setting fire to Rome. So there were people being burned on the cross. Nero was evil. And he did everything in his power to crucify and kill Christians by crucifixion on the cross. So, all of the Israelites, all of the disciples have this understanding of what that meant. And here the Messiah, to be a follower of mine, you must take up your cross and follow me. Now, Jesus hasn't taken up his cross and he hasn't achieved his crowning achievement for paying for all the sins of the world. But it's important to understand as as we are looking at this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And he has that same command to us here today that we are also to take up our cross. But let me tell you, it's going to be more difficult in the generations to come. We're still in that comfortable era of Christianity here in America. But it is changing and it is going to change for the worse because we can see the momentum and where it's going. So they're trying to take this all in. And if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life, now we have to give up our life. And I just need you to read and let God's word speak to you. You will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? So we're talking about souls here. That's what Jesus is communicating. And he says, you got to give up your life. One of the things we can't save ourselves, friends, we can't save ourselves And when we do, when we think we can save ourselves, when we think we can be good enough for God, and we look to our good works, and we look to the accomplishments we have done in life to achieve a relationship with God, that's not how it works, but many people think that way. Because souls are at stake here. And there is this battle. Again, when when we're reading these scriptures, it's important to know Your soul is at war. You have Satan who wants it. He wants to kill you. And the reason he wants to kill you and the way that he can do that is because he's selfish and he wants to bring as many people with him. But he doesn't want you to give up your life to Jesus. He wants you to make life about self. And he wants you to be the center of your attention, not Jesus. And then you have God who says, but you can receive it. Your soul can be saved if you give up your life. If you make life not about you and you put Jesus at the center, that gift I gave you, that will continue on and it will continue on for eternity. It's a beautiful picture of how God wants to spend eternity with us. And the only way we will spend eternity with God is if we give up our life. And then he says, in these adulterous and sinful days, Nothing has changed because we are in that season right now. And here's what he's saying. If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, well, we're in there. And what Jesus is communicating, he says, you need to partner with me. You need to partner with my message. You need to be messengers for me. So as your world and your culture flee from God, Make sure that you're talking to people about this. This is how you become a follower of mine. Be sure to love on people by speaking truth in love. Truth like this usually doesn't work. It didn't work for me. It might work for you if you're a lot more loving on how you do this, but this doesn't work. There's this truth and love that come together. And there's times where Jesus is firm. He just told Peter, one of the people he loves most, get behind me, Satan. There's times where we have to be firm. But boy, that was Jesus, and Jesus has all authority over all things. But speaking truth in love, he says, this is what I need from you in the days when your culture is sending a different message, a different message, because souls are at risk. Every time I turn on the TV, every time I watch a certain news network, it just, it's doing the will of Satan. Satan. It's pointing people farther and farther away of God, and media has power. And Satan uses it, and it's the wrong message. But what one way, because if I was Satan, if I was Satan, I'd use the media to tell people that life is all about them. I would. Why? Because I would be winning just like he's winning. Souls. Souls are at risk. And the church, here's what he, how he uses the church. We have his word. He says, now that I'm gone, I'm in heaven. And again, go back to Acts and read all about the early church. Now it's your responsibility, my followers, to be my messenger, to speak my truth. Do it in love. But don't wave from it. Don't waver about it. Don't change it. Oh, it's a dangerous place when you start changing scripture. Communicate it exactly how it's written allow God and the Holy Spirit to do their part, he wants to use us as messengers. And my hope is that we would do that. That's the cost for us. Are we willing to do that? And so before you say, yes, I'll suffer for Jesus, a quick little litmus test, how you live in your life right now, is there any unrepentant sin that you're not dealing with? Because before you answer that question, there is a cost here. But have you given up your way? Have you given up your life? Because I think the knee-jerk re- reaction in our comfortable, lazy boy chair is, sure, yeah, Jesus, I'll suffer for you. Will you? Will the future generations suffer for, for Jesus? I hope so. Because we have a part to play right now for the future generations. We can impact the future generations I love our kids' church. We partner with parents. We want to equip them with conversations to have with their kids while they're young, in elementary age kids. Because if you start that culture, that will go into junior high and high school when they need it even more, when they think your kids know more than you, and they think they know more than God, and they start testing you. But if you create that culture early, it's, it's easier to continue that conversation. The reason we started, and I remember we sat around the table and we said, we've got to get parents on board because Deuteronomy 6, talk about it with your kids. When you leave the house, when you come home, when you get up before you go to bed, it's so important, God's truth. And that's how we can influence the future generations. I can't wait to speak love and truth to my granddaughter as she gets older. She's one and a half. I'm I'm already speaking it to her. She might not understand it. Because here's why. Hear me out. If my great grandchildren are not being persecuted, it's because they don't know Jesus. I believe that. That they've fallen to the culture's message, not God's message. So we need to do our part now because it is changing and souls are at risk. Now, oops, I forgot. I already advanced this. Sorry, this is a. Uh, Mark 9, one. Jesus went on to say, I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God arrive in great power. Some people are a little bit confused of what this verse is talking about, but this is talking about the death and resurrection. He's speaking to the, the audience in Mark, and they're going to be able to see the death and resurrection, which is the, the great power that comes in, and that power is powerful because it saves And so when it talks about giving up your way, it's giving up your way for the kingdom of God. It's following Jesus for the kingdom of God. And my hope is that you first take that step. And if you have, then truly start living a life that's honoring to God, that says, God, I want to put you at the center of it. May you lead. May your will be done in my life. And then God can use you. He can use you in a mighty way to reach people. Don't stay in that lazy boy chair with the footstool up and recline back, going, this is great. There might be a button that maybe it goes, and it pushes you out of the chair, because that's what we need to get out in the world and do the work of the ministry. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your cost to what it means for discipleship, Lord. And I pray for every person here, Lord, that we come to a place of surrender, that we would surrender to you, that no longer we would make, make our life about us, but it's all about you, Jesus. May you be the center of every decision, of every important conversation. And may we just do your will, Jesus. When you looked out, you said the workers were few, and it just brought sorrow to you, Jesus. We are the workers that you have now equipped and prepared for the ministry of today. And I do pray that we would start really doing the work of the ministry, that we would really be impacting our future generations so that they could come to know you. We know the world's message is getting louder and more momentum. And as a church, we need to rise up. We need to counter that because our soul, our kids' souls are worth fighting for and I just pray that we would just be able to point people to you, and that there would be a revival, a revival of people coming to know you, Jesus. We pray that in a mighty way. We thank you for today, and we dedicate all this time to you, Jesus. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you. Amen.